Welcome to the Exhale Podcast, a candid conversation about current matters relating to respiratory diagnostic and lung health. Today's hosts are Mark Russell, Marketing Communications Manager and Troy Pridgen, Executive Vice President of Sales and Operations for Vitalgraph in North America, a global leader in respiratory diagnostics. We had a great opportunity to speak with Israel Iro Ezendu. He's the Medical Director of Occupational Health for Corporate Industrial Medicine Services, CIMS, in Nigeria, West Africa. Nigeria's economy is the largest in Africa, the 31st largest in the world by nominal GDP. He provides insight on how they deal with occupational medicine related to respiratory care in a different part of the world. Well, welcome, Israel, to our podcast. Thank you, Mark, for having me. Why don't you please give us a little background on yourself, education, experience, and what your current responsibilities are? Thank you, Mark. I'm presently the Group Medical Director for Occupational Health and Allied Solutions for Corporate and Industrial Medical Services. Being an occupational health physician for over 14 years with um, a background in several industries, oil and gas, mining, metal fabrication, construction, and health services industry. I spent 14 years with International SOS as a medical director, regional medical director for occupational health. So I have serviced the industry and I'm into a bit of medical entrepreneurship, being the lead person for Vitalograph distributorship for SIMS in Nigeria. Education-wise, I did my undergraduate medical education with the University of Nigeria. I did a postgraduate diploma in business management. I proceeded to do master's in occupational medicine at the University of Manchester. Currently pursuing my PhD in occupational and environmental health. I have been involved in teaching spirometry around Africa and audiometry and certainly occupational health procedures. Respiratory health is my core concern. I'm fit-to-fit accredited provider of respiratory fit testing. So I'm always very happy to talk about respiratory health, respiratory protection. Since our podcast is global, why don't you tell the listeners where exactly you are and how vast of uh, territory do you cover for your healthcare? Presently, our operation is based in Nigeria with an office in Port which is the hub of the oil and gas, and a branch office in Lagos. But we do support operations virtually around Africa for our clients, both in respiratory health and other occupational health-related services. Well, it's really great to have you here. We're, we're excited to speak to somebody that uh, you know, works within the occupational health framework. Uh, our company itself actually began with you know coal mining and the testing for the various lung disorders that can go along with that. You know, one thing we hear in in the states is that sometimes it's hard to get good quality spirometry in those environments. Do you have any insight as to why it might be difficult to obtain good spirometry results? Good question. In my teaching classes, I've always brought this up. Fundamentally, poor adherence to the elements of standard spirometry is the major cause. When you look at polytrends or untrend operator, very much key to generating poor quality spirometry. You have an unprepared, poorly supported, poorly instructed subject because there are a lot of things that go into spirometry 
their preparation instructions you need to tell them do not smoke one hour before coming do not eat heavy meal two hours before um if your medication this is how you're going to modulate your medication this is the kind of clothing you need to wear those are things that impact on the quality of spirometry equipment performance issues poor validation poor quality control they will also impact on the quality of the spirometry choosing the right reference value having a machine that applies the correct correction factor and interpretation issues. These are, in my experience, things that come in very strong and impacting on the quality of um, pyrometry performed. So in, in our distributorship for Vitalograph, we make it known to people that we offer the sales of this instrument. We are here to provide after-sales support. We are also here to provide training, not just training in how to use this piece of equipment, but training in performing standard spirometry. And you find out that most people do not subscribe for the training. They just think spirometry is like every other OH equipment, and when you plug it, it generates results. So poorly trained or untrained operators is very, very vital for us in poor quality spirometry. So what are the most common poor quality results? Is it the equipment, patients, technologists, or the interpreter? Interesting question. I will always tell people that the technologies of the operator is the most important element of good quality spirometry. All the elements of spirometry standardization are useless in the hands of an untrained technologies or operator. A good operator, will select or recommend good quality spirometer that aligns with ISO 26782. So that knocks off equipment operation concern. A good operator or technologist will abide by quality expectations in spirometry, the acceptable reproducible criteria, knowing artifacts and all that. A good operator or technologist will instruct and support the operator well, and you know how much support and instruction to the subject gives good outcome. A good technologist will provide relevant session and comment to the interpreter. For example, somebody, no matter what you've tried and will give suboptimal outcome, it's a good feedback to the interpreter that you think that the effort was suboptimal. If not, the interpreter will end up saying this is um, restriction, whereas it's suboptimal effort. So if the operator did not provide that feedback, you end up thinking something went wrong. The operator will identify artifacts, as I say, reject unacceptable curves. So for me, I believe strongly if you have a good technologist or operator, as you may wish to call it, most of your problems are solved. Yeah, you bring up a great point. Uh, there's a lot more that goes into it, right, than just the simple blow. Uh, you'd mentioned earlier, for example, the smoking should be, you know, ceased at least an hour before testing. And you can certainly see why. I was curious to know, you know, what, what role does the spirometry testing play in prompting smoking cessation efforts, or, or is that something that uh, you're promoting in addition to? I, I like this question because of my personal experience. One, let me first of all say that spirometry provides an opportunity to discuss respiratory health with smokers and um, opportunity for advocacy, which is general. I've had instances whereby 
we finished spirometry for a smoker and because they looked at their lung age and felt it was normal and because they looked at the interpretation and felt it was normal they felt reassured oh i could go back to smoking i quickly tell them it's normal today but without smoking it would have been more normal than normal spirometry provides a lot of platform for reinforcement of the effects of smoking. One, it provides opportunity for you to trend. The smoker who came today and has normal lung function, when he comes for his follow-up spirometry, you're able to trend and tell them it is still normal, but last year's own was normal, more normal than this year, and next year might become abnormal if you don't stop. So spirometry would have provided values to convince them in terms of force vital capacity, force respiratory volume in one second, how these are fluctuating for the smoker faster than it would have been if they were not smoking. It also provides a graphical opportunity. You know, most good spirometric platform gives you shaded expectations for normal or predicted, which helps you to compare your graph the achieved graph with what should have been. Such graphical picture help drive it in a more concrete way to the smoker and breaks the meat of I'm asymptomatic and uh, I can't see any decline. Apart from that, most um, spiral machines these days give you the long age. And for a number of smokers, I've had them um, notice that the achieved long age is actually way above their chronological age. So that becomes an incentive to quit smoking. So I, I see spirometry as a tool to drive home smoking cessation in a very objective and tangible way that creates lasting impression on the smoker. Israel, you know, next week I have my yearly physical. Should we keep pushing for more spirometry in doctor's offices or some sort of monitoring system of our lungs to basically get a lung age on a person as they progress in their life? I strongly believe that this should be specialty driven. Every pulmonologist clinic should have spirometer. Every occupational health clinic should have spirometer. And maybe every family physician clinic should have spirometer. If we have enough spirometers in these specialties, there will be enough to serve the population. What I think we should be doing is increase awareness and availability of spirometer in these specialties and increase the awareness in practitioners who don't belong to this specialty motivate them for early spirometry requests. If they know that a provider is a few minutes away from them, they'll be more enthusiastic to refer. There's nothing wrong having spirometer in every clinic, but practicability, considering the fact that in my country, a number of pulmonologist clinic do not have spirometer. So when fund is a a constraint. The drive should be to have um, a spirometer in these specialized clinics and create awareness about the availability for those who don't have it so that early requests can be motivated. Yeah, it brings up a, a, an interesting question as well because, you know, obviously we just came out of the pandemic, which affected every part of the world. And of course, to this day, uh, no matter where you live, there are variants of COVID that keep emerging. So, 
At this point, would you say that there is a need for you know a pre-test COVID screening prior to the spirometry test, uh, or have we reached a point where that's not as essential? Let me start this way by saying that um, my center started spirometry after the initial peak of COVID in 2020. In 2021, quite early in 2021, we started spirometry, applying the full protocol for infection prevention. And we did some sizable number of um, spirometry. And I'm glad to say that we did not record any case of COVID that is traceable to our spirometry operation, meaning that if there is proper adherence to the infection prevention protocols, it will not always be needful to do pre-COVID testing. However, consideration should be given to these peculiarities. What is the local or country positivity rate? When you have positivity rate less than 5% and there is no evidence of local transmission, community transmission, I do not think that pre-testing will be very key. It will be a waste of resources. Um, we should be very vigilant to imagine trends and variants of the virus. If we begin to have trends or variants that are more contagious than we expected, we may have to review the need for pre-test screening. The local facility risk appetite, it's also you do your risk assessment and you think that your population is not very good at adhering to the IPC, then it might be safer to do pre-test um, COVID screening. Subject population, if you are doing an occupational health population, healthy population as I do, you are likely to be less vulnerable compared to a pulmonology clinic where you may have a mixed population of people who are healthy or people who are suffering from respiratory symptoms. So these are the things that may guide you. If a client comes in and you do your non-testing screening and you have equivocal clinical symptoms, you may decide to do a testing. The operator's vaccination status is also key. If all your operators are vaccinated, it makes the need for pre-test COVID screening less important. So it's not cast an iron. You need to put into consideration these factors I've mentioned and more before you decide, should I or should I not? Well, as a manufacturer, Vitalograph recommends using BVF filters when doing a spirometry. What are the benefits in using inline BVF during testing? These days, I encourage our clients and those I train to use bacterial viral filter for the various advantages. They prevent viral and bacterial cross-infection. 99.9% of infections are prevented from breaking through. And even if you're worried about the cost of the BVF, you can tell that the cost of BVF is certainly cheaper than the cost of infection. And this is key in your consideration. It also helps you to align to international guidelines. It gives a lot of joy that your practice is aligned to European Respiratory Society, American Thoracic Society expectations. So they recommend use of inline bacteria filter, which is very key. It prevents or minimizes sensor contamination. When you use things like safety way or non-BVF um, mouthpieces, you find out that a lot of mucus or saliva is transmitted into the flow head. So if the sensor is close to the flow head, you have sensor contamination giving you variable results and all that. Most importantly for me, it reduces the frequency of cleaning of the inside of the flow head. You, you, you find out from experience 
when you use bacterial viral filter, your need to do deep cleaning and complete flow head cleaning is really, really reduced. You focus more on cleaning the externals in between use. As long as you're using single single use disposable DVF, you have these um, advantages. It gives you a lot of peace of mind. And I can tell you that we're able to record COVID infection-free process I think part of it is that we switched to BVF the moment COVID started, and um, and we are going to stick this way. We're going to remain this way. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And you know, I, I think if COVID taught us nothing else, it was the what what PPE brings in terms of safety for, for everyone. And you know, whether you're in the midst of the COVID pandemic or not, it's just a good idea, right, to have a some sort of bacterial viral filter that is going to screen out because it's not just COVID, right? You've got everything. You know, the flu. RSV has been rampant in the U.S. lately. Uh, you know, there's, there's all kinds of respiratory infections that are possible. One thing specific to occupational health that we've also heard is that unlike a lot of your healthcare clinical testing, which is done in, in a kind of a fixed room that's designed for it, very often in occupational health, the setting can change a lot depending on where they are. Sometimes there's even mobile trailers or something like that that they test in. Just as a, a best practice, do you think that the room should have some sort of ventilation or some sort of standard like that attached to it? Yes, the, the modifications introduced by COVID to testing, I think, should be sustained. Ventilation is very, very key, particularly two-way ventilation. I encourage people do not perform spirometry in a room that has one inlet. There should be provision for cross-ventilation. I think even after COVID, because you don't know when the next pandemic will come, all the lessons learned from COVID should be adhered to to keep us safe from any infection or contamination in spirometry procedure. Ventilation is very, very key. So Israel, I know that you've been in occupational health for quite a while. Can you tell us what the challenges are in your country as compared to other parts of the world in providing good occupational health? Interesting. Occupational health is driven by regulations, not just the presence of regulations, but the enforcement of regulations. At a stage where regulations are beginning to emerge, and the enforcement and awareness is poor. So it creates a lot of gap because what drives compliance to standards is usually the fear of breaching regulations and the attendant penalty. That is not strongly here yet, so it still creates a gap. Probably five years ago, there was paucity of trained occupational health practitioners. That gap is being closed up a bit, but hands-on experience in occupational health is still a gap. People are beginning to get um, academic qualifications, but opportunities to practice it real-time. The fund needed to start occupational health operation is huge, so people are not yet able to put things together. You have a system whereby trained and untrained practitioners are doing what they can or how they understand it. So the efforts towards standardization, but they haven't come through quite yet. Uh, until that happens, um, we continue to struggle. These are the major challenges we have within our country in uh, operationalization of occupational health. But we think with time, we'll be able to get better. 
and some of these challenges will leverage out, um, will clear off, and uh, will make progress. Well, Israel, it's been a pleasure having you on our podcast. I know you've worked with Vitalograph for quite a while. Is there anything else you would like to add to our uh, podcast? For our guests, I would like them to know that there is a lot of support you can get in country, more so when you purchase an equipment that has local after-sales support, which we're able to give and to the extent of calibrating your precision syringe. And most people think of spirometer without thinking of precision syringe. They are just focused on buying the unit. So I want to educate listeners that please, when you want to order your spirometer, always consider the need for a precision syringe because it validates what you do. Consider the need for a provider who has um, in-country after-sales support which is very much available. Technical support, training support is available in country and we'll be more than happy to give that to our clients who need it and room for a lot of collaboration and support that can happen virtually and at no cost oftentimes. So that's very key for us here as distributor of Vitalograph. Thanks again for being on our podcast. We really appreciate it. This has been great information. Thank you. You've reached the end of another episode of the Exhale podcast. Don't forget to follow us for upcoming new episodes and recommend this podcast to friends and family. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to you joining us again on the Exhale podcast brought to you by Vitalograph.